AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by longtime agency owner and marketing legend, Andy Crestadina. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Andy. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, everybody. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Andy Crestadina. And if you don't know Andy, he is the co-founder of Orbit Media. He's also the strategic director there. And that agency is an award-winning 50-person agency in Chicago, one of my favorite cities on the entire planet. And over the past 20 years, Andy has provided digital marketing advice to over 1,000 businesses, and he's written over 500 blogs. Andy, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to be here, Brooke. Thanks for having me. This is great. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So I'm really excited to talk about this subject because, you know, burnout is something everyone suffers through, including agency owners. And it sometimes feels like agency owners aren't allowed to talk about it, right? Because our team needs to talk about it and they take precedence. But I think today we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit and talk about how you know, burnout can affect everyone and what to do about it if you are an agency owner. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But first questions first, tell me why you decided to jump into owning your own agency or co-owning it with your partners. Oh, I had to. (laughs) It was like (laughs) at the time, I didn't see any other path forward. I was an IT recruiter in the late 1990s. I wanted to make something. I wanted to point at something and say, I did that. I wanted to be creative and like build a thing. So I quit the day job and started building websites with my partner and friend from high school and roommate from college, Barrett Lombardo. And we have been, uh, and we never looked back. So I'm kind of the guy who never pivoted. I've been doing web development and optimization since January of 2000. This company we started in April of 2001. But my goal was just to combine the creative and the technical, the art and the science, to use both halves of my brain all the time. And so it was, I'm perfectly suited for it. I love what I do and I wouldn't want to do anything else. Yeah, well, and if if you know Andy, which I'm assuming you do, right? And if you don't, please follow him on LinkedIn. His content is amazing. But you are so good at the art and the science. But that, you know, using your whole brain, <laughs> which, we, which we still don't even do that, takes a lot of effort, especially with the, the creativity and the amount of care you put into your articles. I mean, if you've, again, if you've seen Andy's articles, they're very helpful. They're step-by-step. They have a lot of instructions, a lot of screenshots. So 
share with us maybe some of the challenges. I'm guessing I might know what, but it could be something else that led to you experiencing burnout. The research is very consistent. So I'm a content marketer, a content strategist. The big challenge is to find time. Uh, we are pulled in many different directions. It's almost impossible to control a schedule in a role like we have uh, because so many people have access to us and they should. We're in a client service industry. So unless you've built a wall between you and that front line of client service or sales, then uh, you have to accept the chaos of just being out there and keeping yourself out there because that's what you're trying to do is to be a visible expert. So it means both being available on short notice for things that might be great opportunities and dedicating time to focus for like those long stretches of like, you know, four and six hours to produce something that's like 10x the expectations of your reader. So this is my second sort of life in this business up until, let's say, like 2017, I was doing all the sales and marketing myself. I was spending all my time all day talking to prospects and spending all my time every night writing proposals. And we got up to two and a half million that way. We were a 20 person company and I was dying. <laughs> it was so painful. I had no life. I was super stressed out. I wasn't doing a good job even because you can't even follow up when you're just kind of on that hamster wheel. So my master move at the time, my power move was to find a CEO. Uh, he was already a client. He already knew us. We were engaging with him as a small business advisor at the time. And it quickly became obvious that we just needed his time, more of his time. So when I took off that hat of, of doing all the sales and marketing myself and doing all the kind of being the anchor man for client service issues, Life got better and 20% of my time just freed up and I could just double down on content marketing and, and becoming, you know, making our firm more visible. Brooke, you and I never would have met otherwise. <laughs> I would still be writing proposals all night and working up and talking to prospects all day. So that's when we grew and we've gone from that, uh, from that day, we've grown to like a 50 person, $7 million firm. Wow. So the, the first trick for me was delegation and to realize my limits and to not just delegate certain tasks, but to find leadership in my organization that could fill gaps in my skill set that I couldn't have done nearly as well as they do. I love that. We had a past episode where we talked to another agency owner who kind of decided to, you know, share 50% of her business and bring someone else in. And she kind of said the same thing that you're saying now, which is, that sounds really scary. And, and maybe it doesn't sound scary. You just don't want to share. Like, look, no judgment here. <laughs> but from what I've heard from both of you, doing that and bringing that next person in or sharing, you know, a percentage of your business or whatever it may be really kind of helped you not only get to the next level, but really like rocket ship to the next level. Yeah. Growth was not fast. I mean, it's still been a slow growth process. You know, that's doubling over 15 years or something <laughs> or whatever it was. But here's a simple statement that I, I hope rings true for some listeners. People who have lower pain thresholds are just happier people because they make changes in their life sooner. They don't wait until rock bottom is not as far down. I really should have just adapted quicker. It's a very difficult decision as an entrepreneur to know when to throw in the towel and, and when to double down and to invest further in, in a concept or a service or a team. So, but really, uh, it should not be painful every day. Your life should not be painful every day. You should not hate waking up in the morning. You should not have panic attacks at night. These are not normal things. So if the concept of mental health is is popping into your brain, then uh, it's probably time to change, make a change, 
Don't test your pain threshold. Don't be a martyr. Change sooner. The sooner your change, you make a change, the sooner your life will improve. Um, you know, there's there's uh, lots of help out there and alternate strategies that can maybe, you know, still get you great results. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But as you kind of just said, and I, I want to lean into that a little bit, our world is so fast paced, right? And it's funny that you said I was wearing the marketing and the sales hat. I'm in that position right now. I think a lot of entrepreneurs like ourselves, we kind of thrive in that chaos environment. So like, how did you start to really understand? Maybe it was the panic attacks or whatever. I hope not, but maybe it was. But what were the signs and symptoms? Like if we're talking to people right now who are listening or watching, and maybe they're not full on panic mode yet. But what are some of those signs and symptoms that you think agency owners should look out for to realize like, oh, I'm headed, I'm headed for burnout? Well, you're not even really doing a good job. If you're honest with yourself and you look at the performance and the output of your efforts and you say like, I'm just stretched too thin to do, to get an A in anything I'm doing. I'm getting C's and B's across the board because I'm wearing too many hats. If nothing else, from the purely practical business strategy perspective, you step back. That role needs a full-time person. That role needs more dedicated time. That role needs, so, so you have to come up with plans, separate, take yourself out of it and just, just look at it objectively if you can and just ask like, is this the best way to do things? You know, it, what would the alternate approaches look like? And just for performance, business performance, you have to be honest with yourself and ask, like, does this make sense? I've done that many times since then and realized, like, at one point, we need to call every client after every project and, you know, ask for feedback and see if there's a testimonial there and calculate a net promoter score. I just wasn't getting to that. So eventually, hey, we're at that point now. We're ready. We need to client success manager. He's going to talk to all the clients like the job isn't getting done at all or the job's getting done badly. It, uh, just simply, just purely objective reasoning will lead you to conclude that these are, uh, that you're not realistically able to do all of these things. That's not just about burnout and personal, you know, life goals and emotion. That's about business performance. So there's another case right there. Yeah, so true. Well, I think all of we marketing agency owners or, or many of us folk have a hard time focusing on like work, work-life balance, right? I mean, I, I hear this all the time, work-life balance. Everybody wants to talk about work-life balance. And I feel <laughs> like sheepish when the conversation comes up because I don't think I'm very good at it. But tell me, but also whoever may be listening or watching, like, how did you realize you're, you know, about to suffer through burnout? And how did you kind of shift that work-life balance to focus more on life and what does that look like? What are some tips you can give us there? Yeah, this is a kind of a counter narrative opinion. I know that a lot of people will sort of disagree with this, but in my my personal approach uh, does involve hard work and I like working hard. I want to work hard. I don't mind. I've sca- I budget myself to work something like 50 hours a week and it's sustainable. There's balance there for me. I have all the breakfasts and all the dinners at home with my family, take my kids, ride my kids to school. I have some advantages because I don't really have a commute. I live in my neighborhood where I work and where my kids go to school. So that's a big, big advantage. I understand. Uh, but yeah, weirdly, I think that working hard is part of, can be part of a good balance. Uh, they, everyone says work hard, play hard. But you also hear frequently like, don't work harder, work smarter. It's like, I don't know. I think working hard is a, <laughs> it's actually quite helpful. It reduces my stress to get my work done. But okay, I get it. Fine. Set that aside. You have to Structure your life in ways where there are gaps of time for you to do and budget it, schedule it, gaps of time for you to recharge. 
So are you reading enough every day? Is your audio content when your eyes are busy, but your ears are available, is that helpful and productive at uh, keeping you balanced? What is your eating schedule like? Like you really, life balance, that's a big word, life. It includes sleep, nutrition, includes exercise. So yeah, you have to structure your life in a way that these things are all going to be sustainable. You're a little bit healthier every year. You're a little bit smarter every year. You're a little bit more successful every year, right? You should feel that 1% increment, that growth all the time. It is, for me, I have like a very time efficient way to exercise. You know, I am thoughtful about what I'm, what I'm eating. You know, I'm, my alcohol intake is perfectly reasonable. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> You and I hang out, Brooke, and we've seen, you know, we've, we've gone up to that edge, I think. Yes. Uh, we've had good times even recently. But no, I think that these, it's a, it's a comprehensive look that can certainly include hard work, but needs to have the thoughtful answers to those other questions about how you use your time, where you get your energy, what you're doing with, do you look at your phone before you get out of bed? Probably not a good activity. Yes. Right? Oh my gosh. Yes. How's your sleep hygiene? You know, all these things that factor in. So it's a it's a big question, but everyone can choose their own adventure. I love that you bring up we were together, a few of us, for an event a few weeks ago. Shout out Paul and Macon. It was a wonderful event. And we were having so much fun, right? But we all had to get up the next morning and be at the keynote at eight. And so most of the group, I won't name names, we're, we're like, hey, we're having so much fun and we're actually kind of sad that we have to end the night here. But if we're going to be up for the keynote at 8 a.m., we have to go to bed now. And 70% of the group did that and 30% did not. <laughs> but yeah, that's part of it, right? It's like just setting those boundaries and sticking to them, right? It was a big plan for months. We were planning on that night. It was, you know, I have a friend from college, so caveat, like consider the source in the, in the context. He says, moderation is important in all things, including moderation. Yeah, go overboard. Pull an all-nighter once in a while for fun or pull an all-nighter once in a while for work. Yeah. It, do it, you know, it, I'm not saying that we all have to kind of, you know, keep the brakes pumping all the time. Some of those best memories are made by just cutting loose and, and being, you know, a bit more carefree in certain moments. And that night was great, Brooke. I'll always remember that. The selfies are epic. Oh my God. So much fun. Now we're going to get requests for these selfies. I'm sorry, they're locked in a vault. So let's talk about that because we, we set, or some of us set some healthy boundaries there. And it is hard sometimes. You know, we're talking about eating healthy. You were talking about exercising. You were talking about making sure you take your kids to school because you can do that because you're close enough. But so you've set all of these healthy boundaries but how do you establish those clear boundaries between work responsibilities and the life, right? All the things that you talked about. Because sometimes it really is hard to set and stick to boundaries when life happens. Yeah, I'm going to recommend, here's the smallest, simplest way to, to, to suggest that. The boundaries start on your phone. Oh, man. Yeah. Audit your devices for notifications and get tough. How do you get more focus, right? That's our job is to is to spend as much time as possible at these, you know, high levels of cognitive intensity, right? You can get a lot done in a short time and you're more productive. You're not just wasting, you know, hours aren't flying by without getting anything done. That's stressful. Being focused and getting your your stuff done is uh, reduces stress. So, how do you stay focused? Reduce distractions. Same thing. Be more focused, reduce distractions. It's the same thing. How do you reduce distractions? Audit your devices. Make your phone boring. Turn off all those notifications. The more boring your phone is, and I know I'm talking to social media marketers, but the more boring you make your phone, the more productive you make your life. Like it, it matters a lot. Or set timers. I realize that I'm not even active on Instagram, but I follow some amazing accounts. I literally put a Chrome extension on my browser that blocked me 
from looking at Instagram during certain hours. I can't see that website right now because it's during the day and I block myself from using it. So it's called like get focus or something. Anyway, this is a key thing. We have to draw those boundaries. We draw our own boundaries in our own lives. Time blocking in your calendar is a big one. Managing your notifications is a big one. But there shouldn't, you know, that I talk to people every day who look at their watch because their watch is buzzing at them. Yeah. Why would you want that? My watch is awesome. It does one thing. It doesn't need batteries. It's a mechanical time-telling device. Okay. So I, I rant over, but you get the idea. No, I well, I want to actually follow up on that idea because, yeah, like it's funny. Alex, my husband, has set, like you can set time limits within like social media apps. So like Instagram, he's allowed so much time, right? Which I think is so smart. I do not do that. I am also very bad at email. I don't have any like sort of schedule that I follow for checking email and email comes in. I'm in the middle of something. I hear the ding and I go check it. I'm so I'm wondering what advice you have there. Like, how do you handle email? Because for me, email is the big culprit. Well, I need to keep my email within a certain range or my stress levels spike. Mm -hmm. So there's different. There was an article years ago about like, what's your email? What type of email user are you? And it was like, there's the, you know, the creepers whose inboxes forever grow. There's the inbox zero people like, I think like 10% of people, it's not many people are inbox zero. This is the batch deleter. I'm what they call the wire walker, where my email is always between, let's say 20 and 30 messages in it. That's my level of, if it gets up to 40 and 50, I start to stress out. So here's my day. I will wake up an hour and a half before anyone else in my house on a good day. But So this is the key, right? Get to bed early, first of all. Now you're going to be able to get up early. Don't stay up super late watching, pick your favorite show. Housewives. <laughs> exactly. Avoid that, right? Late night scotch and housewives, not, not helpful. But if you get up early, I can do something important before I do something urgent. So I start writing content market. I need to create content. I'm going to start writing or researching early. And I'll do that from, let's say, 530 to 630. Now I have from 630 to 715 or so to just jump on my email inbox like it's a grenade. <laughs> I'm going to fight it. I'm going <laughs> to battle through it. I'm going to take the time because there's no one no one else around, no interruptions. This email will take me 15 minutes to address. I've got the time. I'm going to do it. I'm focused. Each one, I look at each one one at a time. I'm not really analyzing like which one should I respond to. I'm just plowing through them. When I get to work, I'm going to settle down, look at my calendar. I'm going to manage, I'm going to plan my day and address things in rough priority or you know, now that the world is awake. But I'm hammering my inbox for a dedicated time every morning, but never until I've already first done something important, such as write or record something. I love that so much because I need to be better with email. So I like the idea of like just getting up a little bit earlier and maybe like like you said, throwing yourself on it like a grenade to manage it. Because <laughs> I used to be an inbox zero person, but now I guess I'm a wire walker too. Like now I have a threshold, right? Which is why I'm so like, if I hear the email ping, I get so like, oh, oh. I know how many emails are in there. I better go check that right now and see if it's something. Yeah, which is so terrible, terrible, terrible. So let's talk about something else that happens a lot in marketing, I think, or at least for me, it does. The pressure to be innovative, right? So so Andy and I were just talking about this Maycon conference that we went to, which is all about AI. And man, if you did not leave that conference, I know you did, but if you didn't leave with pressure to kind of innovate and change some things, I don't think you were fully aware of what was being said. But that also leads to, you know, you have to be up to date on all the things and the, and the social algorithms are changing every day. And now AI is a whole thing. And, you know, how do you navigate that constant need for creativity 
to stay motivated without overwhelming yourself or interrupting those healthy boundaries that you set? Yeah, there are several ways in which we need to stay out in front of things. For content marketers, your your topics need to be relevant, of course, so you can't be too far behind talking about something that's, you know, yesterday's news. And then in client service, we need to be able to bring the latest tools and strategies to our clients to be able to drive results. So the content marketing thing, I think there's one way to stay motivated, which is to track all of your output. It's called your elbow. You're not elbow like here, but your lifetime body of work, L-B-O-W. So if you track your lifetime body of work, and at the top you said that I've written like, you know, 500 plus articles, I can tell you exactly how many. It's like 583 articles or something. Wow. Finished one this morning. So it is a, it's a motivating thing to be able to track your, your activity and look at it. This is why those fitness apps are so effective. This is why that Peloton, you know, you keep paying for it every month because it has all your past stuff. It's like very, it's motivating and stress reducing to have a way to see everything you've done and know, like I'm building, I'm growing, I'm making progress. And you can look back and see like what topics need to be addressed. Sometimes they're innovation. Sometimes they're revisiting something that, you know, performed really well. On the client side, yep, we need to make sure that we're not behind because it's a hyper-competitive category. Digital marketing has a very low barrier to entry. Almost anybody can just jump into the market and be one of our competitors, and that's fine. It's an era right now, especially. We, we are all sort of invited to consider alternate approaches because of AI. I don't really chase trends. I didn't ever look at the Clubhouse website. I've skipped massive trends and seen things come and go, and it hasn't necessarily affected me. But right now, this one's different, and we all need to decide what our relationship is going to be for ourselves and for our agencies and for our team with artificial intelligence because it has infinite use cases, and it is, it's just impossible to escape that. So, yeah, budget some time. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. My approach to researching AI was to do calls with other practitioners, trying it out and just exchanging, show me what you're doing, I'll show you what I'm doing. And I learned a lot quickly that way, which brings me to that idea of community, which is a huge, should we touch on? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we should. We should. So you and I are in a mini group. Yes. It's it's a mastermind group. (laughs) It's this very small community of marketers who want to help each other out. Yeah, it is. And uh, trading notes, uh, commiserating not feeling alone. Yeah. Let's just say it. The agency founder, it can be very lonely. You are sort of isolated. You can't unload with your clients because your job is to show them confidence. You can't unload to your team because that's going to hurt their productivity and they're not your therapist. Where can you be open and forthright and transparent with people who understand you? There are some popular groups out there. I could name some, but you don't need a group. You don't need to wait for a, you know, pay a fee or join a group or apply to something. You can start your own, which you did, Brooke, with our other friends. And we have a a mastermind group and we get together for an hour every two weeks. Yeah. And we share ideas. 
just like you were saying with AI, one of the things that we just did last week was kind of show each other some of the cool things we're doing with AI. And and we started a, a prompt library that we can share among us, right? And I think this is relevant to burnout because it does help you. I've got three people, four really, Jillian, shout out to you, who I know I can go to with 100% certainty and share some of the worst things that we experience or the hardest things that we experience or, you know, things that frustrate us more than anything else as an agency owner. And I know with 100% certainty that I will get an answer, a truthful answer from that group. And that reduces stress, I think, and burnout in a huge way. So yeah, I'm with you. Like, it doesn't have to be some huge group. You could just grab some of your friends who you know who are in this business and start a group together. Just having that on the calendar and knowing that there's a meeting coming up where I can share this idea I'm excited about or celebrate like a a win, like an HR win that would sound weird to celebrate internally. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Some of those things are not, you know, it's, it's a, it's just nice even knowing that those that you guys are are behind me and that I'll be, you know, be connected with you soon. Similarly, there's a couple others. There's a monthly happy hour that I organize with a buddy at a bar just down the street. And we've done it every month for like eight years. I mean, there was a break during the pandemic, but we had um, uh, those people. There's probably 12 of us who are always there every month for many years. It's a community. It's a community. And, you know, there's really nothing to it. You just pick a place and time and keep going and and invite people. And anybody that wants to hang out, you can just add them to the list and tell you, hey, if you want to meet me, meet me there. That's another one where, uh, and shout out to uh, David J.P. Fisher, my old buddy, D. Fish, who puts it together, that long room happy hour meetup. It is beautiful how much of how, you know, friendships have appeared and you know, referrals and leads and new clients and hires have come from that too. Well, let's talk about clients. Since you said clients, client demands and expectations, right? This is surely what adds to burnout. We all probably have that one client who just constantly nitpicks at your work or demands more of you or wants to be on the phone with you for two hours every week. How do you handle those things? Is this another situation where you're like, all right, we have so much of this that now we did hire the client success person or what happens when they want to talk to you, Andy? How do you handle those situations? I I don't think this is great advice, but I make myself uh, available to virtually all of our clients. There are hundreds and hundreds of people who have my my scheduling links that have my cell phone number. As much as that maybe is like a triggering, terrifying thing for our listeners to hear, uh, let me say also that it is not really abused by anybody. I don't have a strong filter to stop people from being able to contact me because in my experience, humans are just considerate people. I mean, we're not, I mean, wouldn't it be weird to like, you know, what if you had Mike Stelzer phone number? Would you call him? <laughs> No, you wouldn't, because that would be weird. I actually probably have a cell phone number. I've never called the guy. Why would I? It would be weird, right? So people don't really, you know, spam is for strangers. If people know each other, they're very considerate. People email me and say, I got your schedule. Do you mind if I use it? Sure, please go ahead. They're like very, so I make myself available. I don't regret doing that. But I, what it means is I have to budget time across my calendar for that link to work. I don't regret it. I'm trying to be accessible. It's important. And it gives me the chance to get smarter by like learning about new problems. You know, you, you, your intro said I've talked to a thousand businesses. It's probably 3,000 businesses because I talked to three or four a day. 
this is why it keeps me sharp. Yeah. Well, so what? let's say I, I'm a client and I want to call you at like 930 at night and I'm calling you at that time. What how do you that's not sustainable in my world. I'm, I'm in bed by a lot of nights by 9 p.m. So that's not sustainable for me. So how do you set that boundary if it's a client who just wants to chit chat with you at like 6 a.m. or 930 at night? I would never answer a phone call at 930 at night. I'm not, I mean, we're web development, so there aren't that many emergencies. Maybe once or twice a year, like a site goes down and, so, and I get a text message from somebody and then I have to text some other people and just on the alarms. But that's like an actual emergency. If you are being abused by a client, you need to fire the client. We have like a no, no jerks policy. You can't do it. You can't, you can't allow it. You can't let those people, the cost is too high. The emotional cost, you might be looking at the dollars and saying, oh, that's a kind of a good client. I don't know. How do I replace that revenue? It doesn't matter. You don't don't burn your team. Don't burn your reputation. You're probably never going to be happy anyway. They're never going to refer people anyway. You'll survive even if they grumble to a few people about you. Who cares? This is a non-negotiable thing. Anyone who is mentally or emotionally or verbally abusing you in any way needs to get out. So the conversation sounds like this. Now, this is our last conversation. I'm calling to let you know that we've made the decision. You're going to be great. You're going to find a company that does that takes care of you. It meets your standards, but we're not at that company. Sorry, just just giving you this verbal announcement. I'll follow up with an email. We're gonna we're gonna wind up this relationship. I wish you all the best. I love that. You're free. You're free. Move on. Literally, he just wrote the script for you. So just hit rewind, write it down, and use it so that you can take care of your mental health and not get burnt out. So let's talk about earlier, you talked about, you know, having to delegate a delegate to a client success manager. So let's talk about how crucial that is to, to not getting to the point of burnout. Delegation, teamwork or a partner or partners who you can turn to and lean on. How do you, I guess, decide to delegate tasks and how do you find who the best person is on the team to delegate it to, or in some cases, maybe like you said, create a role. Like, what does that look like? That's trial and error. You're going to get it wrong. Forgive yourself in advance for getting it wrong. Some of these key roles, it might take, you're going to make mistakes and they're going to be expensive mistakes, but that is the path to success there. That's what a business is. A lot of entrepreneurs, they, it feels like they're creating a company, but really they're just creating a job for themselves. It, it you, feel, you know, it's like I'm a I'm an LLC and I've got a brand, but you know, if you are, and this is a problem for me and for many, you know, too much of your brand is your personal brand. That's a problem. The business doesn't scale without you. You could never step away from it. Can your business survive without you? If you left for three weeks, would everybody be excited and happy? You know that you're finally out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you're going for. So work with that goal in mind. There's a hundred books on this. You know, draw the org chart for the organization, even if you are wearing more than one hat and in several of the boxes. But once you have that, you can begin to envision like what these roles are. What are the responsibilities? How do they fit together? Now write a job description for every one of those boxes. And you might be doing several of those. That's fine. But your long-term plan has to be for other people to pick up where you can put down. Otherwise, it's really not a business. It is a job. You made for yourself a job with a team around you. There are successful people who do that, and I don't, I'm not saying anything bad about that, but they never have, you know, an exit or a liquidity event, or there's no, you know, the, the business itself doesn't have value without them, which is fine. You know, maybe it's a lifestyle thing and, you know, you have autonomy and you love your clients. You can 
decide who to work with. Those, those check big boxes. That's great. If you do expect to have a business that can thrive and survive and grow without you, then you need to create the org chart, write the job description and start to hire or delegate big time. That is a lesson I learned like only a few years ago. So I think it's wonderful that you're bringing that up because I was to the point of burnout with B Squared and I just lost all passion for what I was doing. I felt like I was in a job, right? It, it felt very like task oriented. And then luckily my husband and I decided together that he would come join the team. And since then, everything changed. But I had to, luckily, again, I got to have this conversation with him, but I had to sit down and like kind of outline what I hated. Like it was like the most hated tasks. And ultimately, those are the tasks that he took on so that I could thrive again. So what would you say, like if we were having this conversation two years ago or so, and I just had lost the passion for my business or anyone who's listening, maybe you're almost there, which makes me so sad. What do you do when or what do you what advice do you give when someone's questioning the commitment to themselves and to their agencies? And, and how do you reignite and how did you in your own situation reignite your passion and your purpose and move forward? Well, if you're really considering winding everything down, then you're making a decision that's as personal as it is professional. You are looking at options for the next step in your career. What I'll say first is just to remind people, there are lots of options. You have many more opportunities than you might have than you might imagine right now. It's very hard to see what might come along from where you're standing. If you are truly experiencing burnout and you are ready to step away, there are amazing outcomes yet in front of you. So be optimistic and confident in what can happen next, because I know tons of stories about this, right? Uh, struggled to build a social media marketing agency for 15 years. Now, VP of marketing in a very chill job at a very lucrative company and doing great. Happy every day. Thrilled. Like, goes home at five. You know, people are... So I can think of mutual friends of ours, Brooke, who, who kind of tried to run it and needed to pivot and pivoted twice. Didn't work, you know, and, and now they're just happily employed, like just <laughs> expense accounts and just like laid back. And like, they've got, they're not responsible for, for sale, whatever it was that was burning them out. Now that sales job, that client service job, you learned a lot about yourself. You built a big network. You, you grew your emotional intelligence and acquired some amazing skills. And I just want to give, just signal a little bit of hope to the people who really are ready, you know, who are truly burned out because there's, there are many bright futures yet out there for you. Don't despair. The next chapter can be a really good chapter, and especially in the context of where you are now. So I'm not saying give up if it's not time to give up. That's the tough call. But when it is time, you're ready to turn around. Good things are about to happen. Yeah, I agree. Like just when you think you're sitting at the, at the edge of the cliff, sometimes jumping is the best thing you can do, right? Or sometimes you pull, you get pulled back. That, that's a great quote. Brooke. That <laughs> is, you nailed it right there. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. You. You, should, you should do social media. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> that a great perfect. idea. <laughs> Let's talk about failures because that's kind of what we were just talking about. I mean, you you know, the these this is the ugly side, unfortunately, of getting to not even all the way to burnout. You're you're on your way to burnout, and you're just feeling like a complete failure. Like nothing you do is right. You're making poor decisions. I'm just speaking for myself here, but if you're nodding along, thank you. So. Let's talk about some of the mistakes or missteps that you took that might have helped lead to burnout. 
And what valuable lessons did you take away from those mistakes or missteps? I have made huge mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) I have made expensive mistakes. I have chosen paths that were disastrous. And, And they cost me a lot. They cost me a lot of time and a lot of money. I never really talk about this, but I actually started five companies. No one knows about the others mostly. I'm not mostly a success. This is like a motivational poster, but it's 100% true. Accomplishments are proportional to attempts. Uh, yeah. So you have to try a lot of stuff. I am more concerned about my friends who are afraid to try things and take action and make decisions and move forward than my friends who are trying too many things. I think it's very like, I think one of the biggest failures is the failure to not try. So I'm a fan of just give it a shot, see if it worked, get some data, learn a little bit, try again. I fully recognize that I am not my failures. My failures are separate from me. Those were actions that I took and attempts that I made. And it would be weird if they all succeeded. I went through an audit of a client's website. This is a very simple tactical one, but I made some recommendations to this client's website. And we tried them. My team went through the process and we measured the impact. And they came back and they said, Andy, none of those ideas worked. I said, I'm not that surprised. <laughs> <laughs> that was just my first ideas. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, yeah. Like that, that you don't draw too much. You, know, you didn't learn a lot from the fact that those uh, didn't work. All you found out was that we have to try something different. So yeah, it really, I have the biggest successes you know, have failed maybe more than almost anyone else you know. They try a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, so if we're if we're if we're confessing here, the B squared is my third business. The first two failed. I mean, they were in totally different industries, but still, you know, I I wouldn't have gotten to the part that I'm at now if I had just said, "Well, I failed twice, and now I'm done. I'll just be an employee for the rest of my life and be happy with it." So I love what you're saying, and I think I I hope if you're watching or listening, you're taking this advice to heart because now you've got two people, and I'm sure there are so many more. We're going to hear about them as soon as this publishes about the mistakes they made, or how many businesses they owned, or how many monetary. Oh my gosh, we've all made financial errors, big ones, big risks. But oh yeah. But big wins. Yeah. Like I'll never get that money back. (laughs) Right. But big, big rewards take big risks. And I think you just have to keep at it and keep trying. So, Andy, you've been amazing today. I love that we got to talk to you about something other than content, which you're obviously amazing at. But I think this is this is a little more up close and personal. And I thank you so much for sharing all of your personal stories and advice. For everyone who's listening who isn't already following you, can you tell them how to find you, how to connect with you, what you're working on, all the fun things? I write an article every two weeks at orbitmedia.com. I have a weekly newsletter on LinkedIn. LinkedIn would be my best social network. I'm relatively active on YouTube. And also the book is called Content Chemistry, and it's at Amazon and everywhere else. So that's everything I know. It's been updated. This is version six. It just, it was updated recently. So but yeah, it's a, you're right, Brooke. LinkedIn would be a great place to connect. And anybody who wants to chat with me, <laughs> here I am <laughs> fearlessly making myself accessible. I don't care. No one's going to, I'm not worried that anyone listening to this will abuse it. But you can click on the, you don't just have to follow me. I've got it set so the blue button is follow, but go to more and you can go to connect and then connect and then send me a message on LinkedIn if I can help you somehow. Yes, I love that. I, do, I really do. You're making yourself accessible, but for you, you're looking at it as your playground, right? This is how you stay innovative and connect with people. So listen to Andy's advice. He's excellent. Thank you all so much for tuning in for another marketing agency show. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. 
If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooks Ellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, make sure you tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's marketing agency show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.